are. Here we are of another podcast of What's Up, Cuz. I am Dr. David Brock, and I'm glad to be coming to you. And I'm in studio with my great, beautiful, always fabulous host, Dr. Sharon McDaniel. Doc, why don't you greet the people and say hello? Hello, and what's up, Cuz? What's up, Cuz? How's things with you? Oh, things are going all right. What about you? Well, you know what? If it gets any better, it's just not going to be fair to anybody else. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm grateful for another day. I, I am too. I'm so glad about that. I'm just so glad to be here um, with you in the studio. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you. We have so much fun when we come together, and this has been such a remarkable experience sharing these moments with you and uh, doing what we've loved to do. And, you know, for those that don't know, we, we started this because we would not talk for a while if you were on the road, if I was on the road. And when we talk, we talk for two or three hours. And Forever. we're like, and we always pick up the phone and say, hey, what's up, cuz? Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we would always talk about the things that were happening. In our lives and things that are happening around the world, catching up on current events. And so you and I know we both have this thing, this shopping thing we like to do and all these other things. But as we focus this month and this round on financial health, I don't know about you, but I, I'm so glad that we have a special guest that will be with us today. And he's going to be sharing the practical, wonderful wisdom uh, that has come as a result of some insight that he has. He is the author and publisher of a book that is entitled Get Out of Debt. I love it. It says Addicted to Debt. Get Out and Stay Out. And what a powerful, powerful opportunity. What a powerful. It's Mm -hmm. a great book. And so we're grateful to have Dr. Howard Slaughter. And so, Dr. Slaughter, we welcome you to the What's Up Cuz podcast. What's up, cuz? What's up, cuz? <laughs> <laughs> I love the name, and I'm glad to be on your show today. Thanks for asking me to do it. Well, you know, we're grateful, and we, you know, we're intentional about bringing uh, useful content and information to our our listening audience. And so, uh, do us a favor, please introduce yourself and tell the audience why this book was so important for you to write. Sure. I am the current president and CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Greater Pittsburgh, but I also serve in other capacities as well and many different organizations. Uh, But I'm a a local person who grew up in Pittsburgh. Homewood was where I was born and I love this city, love this state. And I've done a lot of great things to make a difference for folks in the community. But more importantly, I'm just thankful that I have an opportunity to share some of the information in my book today. I have a couple of degrees. I've taught at several universities, and uh, I'm just happy that I have an opportunity to share today because getting out of debt is so very, very important. And I want to share some principles and concepts that I think your listeners will be excited about. So glad to be here on the show with you and Dr. Sharon, and thanks again for the opportunity. Well, you know, Doc, it was just uh, when I was reading your book, I, as I said to you a little bit earlier before we went live, is that I read this book from cover to cover in just a matter of hours. And it's so um, reader friendly, if you will. And what I enjoyed most, you know, I've been knowing you for over 30 years, but what I've been, uh, what I enjoyed most was get, getting to know you a little bit more and really your, um, your vulnerability in telling your story as you were growing up. And so I love the way you were able to f- infuse your personal story with your work, if you will. And I remember you said that you were walking down the streets of Homewood with your mom one day and you saw the d- dilapidated housing. You said, I want to 
to uh, restore and build these houses again. Can you just talk to us about, you know, you're not a grown man, Howard, but what were you thinking that you were thinking about as you were walking down those streets of Homewood when you were a young boy? Well, thanks so much for your kind words on the book. I'm glad that it was practical for you. I'll tell you what I was thinking then. As I looked at the community, I didn't even realize how prophetic what I said when I was four or five was going to be actuality Mm -hmm. as I grew into the work that I'm doing. I think what I was looking at is what can I do at that young age to make a difference. It was during the time when I remember we used to go to Giant Eagle in Homewood. A lot of people may not remember Giant Eagle used to be in Homewood. And we would go down to Giant Eagle as a young kid and we would ask those coming out with their carts, can we help you with your bags? Mm. And people would give us a quarter, a dime, whatever. And that's one of the first jobs, uh, unofficial jobs that I had. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so I was always concerned about helping people and walking with my mother and looking at the dilapidation that we saw back then. I wanted to do something. Obviously, I was too young to do something. Didn't know my career path was going to go the way it did. Mm-hmm. But it was foresight. And it was just the concern of making a difference in the community, something that I thought about then, but was able to do it as I moved on in life. And that's really exciting for me to be able to say that when I was four or five years old, this is what I wanted to do. And guess what? I'm doing now what I wanted to do then. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. And I know that you have infused faith throughout the book. And so as I was reading the scriptures, as you were talking about, you know, God's prophetic word in your life and over your life, it's just so remarkable to see it just come to fruition. And so thank you for sharing that. Definitely, because I, I was talking, and for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Slaughter is actually our cuz, so we could actually say, what's up, cuz, cuz, cuz. But uh, even in knowing Dr. Slaughter, we were raised together and grew up together. I was sharing with him, I am, as those may know, I am a pastor and a bishop, and I've gotten my degree in, in, in Bible study and all those things. But I told him I never thought about looking at the scripture that says, present your body a living sacrifice and it talks about how we present ourselves and the things we buy and we wear i never Mm. i never equated that until you were just saying and Mm -hmm. i was sharing with that him that very thing the fact that he infused the scripture into uh this book so well but dr slaughter your journey you know you said earlier you have a couple of degrees i know that to be a fact and um you are actually dr howard slaughter and You've done some teaching in university settings and so forth, but your journey into higher education was not a straight line, as we know, and you talked extensively about student debt. Can you share with us your journey and what you would suggest parents and uh, students uh, do when it comes to addressing higher education from a debt-free mindset? Sure. I'm glad you asked that question because it's so very, very important. And let me just share with the listeners this was just one of the strategies that I used. I went back to school when I was 27, 28 years old. That's when I got serious about school. Had a military career prior to that. But what I did was I went to Community College of Allegheny County because the cost was much less expensive and the ability to get to the professors was easier. And so one strategy is simply 
you don't have to go to a four-year college all four years. You can go to a two-year college, get your associates, and move on to a four-year college and still get your degree. That was just one of the strategies. But the challenge for many people is the debt that they have. I also was able to use, thank God, my military benefits. So that helped me out. But we want people to understand that this debt issue is huge. Mm -hmm. And let me just give you a couple of perspectives. Think about this. Today, individuals between 50 and 61 still have student loan debt of about $45,000. In fact, this group of individuals is the highest average. They have the highest average student loan debt in America Mm -hmm. based on fourth quarter 2022. Think about that. 50 to 61-year-olds have the highest average student loan debt. Wow. The next group, 35 to 49, uh, their student loan debt is averaging about 43000 and then it moves down from there. But the point I wanted to emphasize here is that when you take out student loans, the likelihood of you having that student loan for 15, 20, and 25 years is very seriously great. And that's where we have a challenge. So one of the pieces of this is try to figure out how you can go to school if without any debt, very minimal debt. That's a big issue. And I think that people have to understand that you can do this. You can get through school without having a significant amount of debt. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Borrowing money and loans and all of those things, student loan debts still impede many individuals' ability to borrow and maybe become a homeowner because they have that type of debt. So I suggest highly that people think about how they move forward and how they do their debt. School is very important. Whatever school you go to, trade school, university, any of those schools are very important. But most people that take student loan debt out will have student loan debt upon graduation and for years thereafter. And if you take student loan debts from the government, federal student loan debts, guess what? You can't bankrupt yourself out of that. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You're going to have to pay the government. Uh, There are private student loans, but there are also government student loans. So, you know, that's, that's something that we have to think about. And the trade-off isn't always equal. And what do I mean by that? If you're borrowing $50,000 for a student loans and you're starting out, your job may not cover that amount because you have other liabilities mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But many people, here's the mistake I think they make. Because you can do a deferment, A lot of people come out of school, they're looking for a job, they take the deferment for one year, and before you know it, the deferment's five years, 10 years. So now that student loan is still increasing because of interest. Mm -hmm. So the student loan that was 25,000 when you graduated is now 45,000 10 years later. Wow. Those are the kind of statistics that we have to think about. 
And, and that's, that's absolutely remarkable. And you really talk about this extensively in your book. And one of the things that I know that you did, you know, you, like you said, you use your military, but you also were able to get um, in, in, in uh, employment with people who were willing to pay towards your education. And so that's one of the strategies, because certainly that's happened with me as well. I, um, thank goodness, only had to borrow about $5,000 um, for the four degrees that I have, but I paid most of it um, myself, but or, or had support from um, the organization for my employment. So I think to your point, trying to look at other options um, and, and also sometimes delaying um, going, particularly when you're not clear about what you want to do. If you're clear about what you want to do, but I'm thinking about even my daughter, she went to community college first before she went to the university because she wasn't necessarily clear about her major. So I think that what you're offering to us is really critically important, and I, I really love this section in your book about that. But the other thing you write about in addition to um, student loan debt you also talk about credit card debt. Now, I remember when I was graduating from Penn State University, they gave me an American Express card. They must have been giving them away, like, just for free. <laughs> but I got an American Express card. Didn't even have a wallet to put it in. So I bought a wallet with the American Express card to put the wallet, put the card in. And I said, oh, and how am I going to pay for this? You know, so. Right, and, right. And I remember having a gas card and I didn't have a car. So, you know, they were just <laughs> giving stuff away. But when you talk about um, this uh, credit card debt and the trapping of credit cards and then how it impacts your FICO score. You go into all of this thing. And what I love about your book, you also are so transparent about putting your own, your um, your liabilities there. And also, you know, when you had written about your own, while, while your FICO score had gone down after you had paid off your debt. But can you talk about this whole trapping of credit cards? Because I think it's so important. You really raised this issue so beautifully. Thank you so much. I, I really think that this is one of the biggest issues that we face because everyone may not go to college or borrow for school, but the preponderance of Americans today have at least two or three credit cards. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the beginning of the trap because you're told that you have to have a credit card. And in many cases in our society, you do need credit. What we want to emphasize is how to use it and minimize it if possible. But the trap is simply something that people don't think about. The average person that has a $5,000 credit limit and borrows $5,000 and repays that loan on time. Think about this. They're repaying on time, but guess what? the payment amount is very low. Mm -hmm. It's often exactly. between three and 5% of what the balance is. So mm -hmm. let's just take, let's just take the 3% on the 5,000, you know, a hundred, $150 a month. Now that can take years to pay off if you just pay the monthly payment. And that's where the trap becomes some credit cards, even, have a lower percentage that you have to pay. So what happens is people begin to say, wow, okay, well, I can get three credit cards, each for 5000 and my payment's only going to be a couple hundred dollars a month. But they're not thinking about the interest, which is often the most highest interest that you're going to pay. Car payments aren't 
in interest. Mortgages aren't 24% in interest, but credit cards can easily top 25, 26%. Mm. The other thing that people often don't think about is they also charge you for being over the credit limit. Right. Uh, they used to close your account when you were over the credit limit, but yes. they got smart. They used to close it. They said, no, no, no. We'll charge a fee and the people will pay the fee wow. to be over the limit right. plus the interest. Mm. And so now credit card debt has really become a stranglehold on many, many Americans. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with that had significant serious credit problems. And I'm talking 40 and 50,000 in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Here's the other big thing. You ask them, well, what did you spend it on? They can't, can't remember. remember. Yeah, I was going to say, can't remember at all. Can't remember. Or either, or either it's a depreciating asset, right? Things that don't have any value to it. Mm -hmm. Clothes, food. Those are things right. that you're going to a park or any of those kinds of things that don't add value to you. And so the key for individuals to really focus on is you only need one credit card, really. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. if you're going to have a credit card, get a card that you can use at all places. Don't get a Macy's card because you can only use it at Macy's. Right, right. 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 Dr. Sharon, you mentioned American Express. That's one of the cards that I advocate because you can use it just about anywhere. Anywhere. And you pay it off every month. Pay it off. That's my only one. And, and that's my only that's one, Doc. It, that's it. Yeah. And, they give you, yeah. and they give you points you can shop on Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you get points or you can right. get gift cards. Right. But Absolutely. that's the key. And that's what we have to get people to understand. You can no longer be irresponsible by spending all of these dollars uh, every month and not knowing what you're doing. And credit card companies will send you the card. They'll give you the card. Right. And like you said, Dr. Sharon, you had a card and you didn't even have a wallet to put it in. Mm -mm, right. Mm -mm. Didn't even have a wallet so, to put it in. Right. So this is, this is what's so very important. And I hope those who are listening has a chance to purchase the book because we go into much detail on it. But right. if you really want to get out of debt, most people need to start with reducing and minimizing and then eliminating their credit card debt. And it's an, and it's an addiction. That's why I say it addicted to debt. This is really an addiction. If we were talking about credit card debt, like we do uh, drugs and things of that nature, people would see it much more differently, but it is an addiction. There are people in malls right now that are shopping for things they do not need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and is, that addiction is strong. Yeah, strong. That is, and that's so. That is so true. I laughed because Dr. Sharon says she had a gas cart and had no car. So I, I'm. I, yeah. I, I laughed. You know, I'm like, wow. But Dr. Slaughter, in your book, you, I, I love the fact that as I was sharing with you earlier, as we were preparing for our time together, I shared with you that I loved your transparency and you detailed about your debt and your credit score and letters that you sent to FICO and Citibank and others about your rating after you paid off debt. Can you talk to us about credit scores and uh, predictive technology around who they will extend credit to in the future from your perspective? How do we stay out of what you call debt addiction? How do we stay out of that? Yes, that's, that's really important. I'm glad you asked that question. Let me just hear one or two things that, the average listener may not know 
because the predictive analytics is so very important and so interesting. What many people don't know, and I'll talk about FICO scores a little bit in a minute, but what I want to hear is there are other models that are being developed and have been developed that you don't know about. I was a former banker, so I've been behind the scenes. I know what we look at at banks uh, in terms of credit. But, you know, credit card companies and things of that nature are very deep into this. But today, there are different models. One is called the application score assessment. And it's a different assessment model, and it assesses the potential of the applicant's ability to pay based on their application score. So they give you an application score. Most people haven't heard about mm -hmm. application mm -hmm. scores. Right. And then there's another piece called the behavioral score. What mm -hmm. that does, it assesses the risk that you may have from a default, pers from a default perspective with an existing customer while when making decisions related to account management, such as credit limits, over limit management, new products, things of that nature. So it's a behavioral score. They can kind of tell based on your patterns and your behaviors, what you're going to do. That's all around predictive. Mm. And then there's a collections score. All of these scores, most people haven't heard of. Then there's the collection score. It's used in collection strategies for assessing the likelihood of customers for collections and paying back the debt. I used to be in the collection department when I worked at Equibank years ago. And so I know how that factors in. So people haven't heard of collection scores, behavioral scores, application scores. There are many, many models. Have, have either of you heard of those kind of scores? Have not. Have Not until no, I read your book. And right. So <laughs> and so, yeah, and, th and that's what people don't know. So those scores are being calculated. But then we come to the one that is most familiar with the average consumer, which is the FICO score. And there are different ways to look at the FICO score, but one of the things that I would point out in the FICO score that is really important, it assesses your ability based on your length of credit history. And I want to start there because they factor in how long you've had credit. There are a number of people that say, I don't have any credit. I don't want any credit. Well, part of the score is how long you've had credit. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's just part of the score. So I, I don't advocate not having something on your credit report in terms of a trade line, but they do factor in that piece of it, length of credit. And then the other thing is the amount you owe. And we can talk about debt ratios and all of that at another time, but the amount you owe is critically important. They look at, are you over the limit? Is your debt in proportion to your income? These are things, and they assess scores to that. When I was a banker years ago, there wasn't a credit score model. We looked at your credit report and made a decision, and we made the loan. Today, uh, most of it is all by the numbers. Mm. And that's, those are two key factors uh, within that. And then the other one that people don't think about a lot is the credit mix. Mm. what's the credit mix, all right? Do you have two lines of credits and a term loan, 
a home equity loan, all of those are various forms of credit. <laughs> and when you look at that, that helps to determine, and you can't make that determination. This is really a black box kind of thing. No one really knows what's in the black box. Wow. And so you can't determine that. Well, you know, I mean, this is just, and that's why I'm telling you, I was just, speaking of uh, addicted, I was addicted to the, reading this book, <laughs> so, which, was a, which was a good addiction. Um, yes. But, but when you talked about, you were just so planful, even when you were thinking about getting married and looking at your debt and how would you be able to afford things. And you talked about the um, racial wealth gap in, in, in terms of looking at what, and you, and you give scripture about, you know, what are you going to set up for the generational wealth and those sorts of things and the inheritance that you're going to leave to your children. But you really talked about how we need to examine the racial wealth gap that we have in this country. And you actually showed some graphs that continues to widen um, between different um, ethnic and racial groups. So what can you give us and how can you tell us how we can start planning now, as you did when you and your wife um, decided to, to marry and, and have a family and buy homes? I mean, you talked about how you were willing and intentional to say, we're going to pay our debt off early. And you said, you know, set free by being debt free you know so talk to mm -hmm. us about how we um, be, can begin to think about no matter where we're starting from developing that generational wealth and and reducing that racial uh, wealth gap within our own um, budget if you will you know the, the bible talks about us leaving an inheritance for our children and our children's children. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that scripture, what does that really mean? But as important as what it really means is how do you do it? Yes. Because if you're going to leave an inheritance, some would think, well, if I leave an inheritance to my kids, that's great. No, your children's children. Mm. So you have to plan to do this. And one of the ways in which, I think people should do is vision this out. And what I mean by that is you look at 25 years from now and you look at where you are currently and you begin to assess what it is that I have that's an asset versus a liability and what can I do to get to an income level or a savings level that will give me the ability to ensure that I can leave an inheritance for the kids and the grandkids. And here's what's interesting for African-Americans in particular, we still in many cases are at the bottom rung when it comes to home ownership. We own, we owe less, we own more. Um, our incomes are certainly disproportionate in many cases, not that it's a fault of anyone in particular, but those are just the facts. So we, in my opinion, have to do even more to make sure that we are at a place where we can do more. Mm -hmm. And it's a discipline factor as well. Yes. And I'll just start from a biblical perspective as well. You, you got to give your tithe and your offering. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens because it's God who is looking to do it He's the one who gives us the ability to get wealth. Mm -hmm. And so when people don't tithe, they don't give the offerings, they don't help other people with their skills and their talents. You know, we often hear that people talk about you reap what you sow, but it's often in a negative context. 
but it's also positive. If you do good things, you'll reap good yes, things. Yes, yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And so what has to happen is you have to do a calculation of where you want to be. No one gets somewhere that's really important by happenstance for the most part. You don't get to play in the NFL by not preparing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get to be a leader of an organization by not preparing. You don't get to be a bishop without preparing. And so preparation is the number one key. And a lot of individuals don't prepare. It's sad to say. They're not interested in doing that. And then it takes work. Yes. You yeah. saw in the book, I mean, you, you got to write people and say, no, this is not right. Here's what this <laughs> needs to be. You, and you can't be afraid to go to the top if you have to. You sure right? did. You right. sure did. You know, <laughs> we saw, we and saw that in you your have, book. We saw that you yeah. went to the top. <laughs> went to the top. And that's what you have to do. So, Dr. Sharon, Dr. Brock, it's about making sure that you prepare and then strategize. What we often do, the average American still lives paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Let's start there, too. Right, mm-hmm. right. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have a lot that you have disposable that you can do unless you prepare. My wife and I did something years ago when we started on this journey. And I suggest this for a lot of people to do, whomever you are. We took for one month and we wrote down everything we spent that we didn't even know we were spending. What do I mean by that? My wife was working, I was working. She was getting a coffee, I was getting chips. Uh, and we looked at what we spent for the entire month that wasn't in our budget, that we just assumed, well, that's just a couple dollars here or there. But if you do a couple dollars a day every day and your spouse or your significant other does the same thing and you begin to realize, wow, that was enough to make uh, a reduction in the mortgage mm-hmm. even more, mm-hmm. right? It's $120 a month. Well, why don't I use that to reduce the mortgage even more? So it's preparation that gets us to the point where we can begin to understand placement. Yes. And placement is simply the ability to say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do it and when I'm going to do it. We're very light on putting plans in place. Right. That's Most good. people don't have a written budget. They don't. They just. They just wait and see what bills come in and try to figure out how to pay it. That's not the prescription for success. Right. And Absolutely. so, Absolutely. it's all about preparation mm-hmm. and having a strategy and a goal. You know, you have to have a goal. Today, people are less goal oriented, and if you don't do that, you'll find out when you get of age that. You know, you're not where you want to be. And at some point, it's going to be even more difficult to catch up. Right. Absolutely. And so those are some of the ways. Yeah, Dr. Slaughter, I said, you know, and this is no no shade against anybody that is. But I said, I refuse to be the Walmart greeter when y'all come in Walmart. (laughs) And I'm sitting because I didn't prepare. And I'm sitting there talking about praise the Lord. How you doing? You know, that's not going to be my testimony. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you talked about work and it takes work. And in your um, doctoral dissertation, you actually, you know, one of the things that I know that we don't uh know or we don't do well is a lot of times, especially in the African-American community, we don't talk about financial literacy. We don't talk about mm-hmm. understanding money and wealth and so forth. But in your um, your doctoral dissertation, 
you wanted to examine financial literacy in the African-American students during your summer literacy program. Can you tell us a little bit? I know we got a short little bit of time to be with you here, but can you tell us uh, uh, what you found and, and, and how you've been addressing the same throughout the various spaces that you've been fortunate to work and volunteer in? Sure. And you've asked a question that I'm glad to answer because it's not going to be the answer that most of your listeners are thinking about. Yeah, we did the program. The Lord bless. We raised three hundred thousand dollars, and we went to high schools in Pittsburgh, along with churches, to bring these students to the university. And we did it. They stayed at the university. It was a great program. One of the most significant things that happened after the first year, we taught the students. We had exams. All of those things. Graduation. It was really, really nice. We started getting calls from parents Mm. and they started asking us, well, what are you teaching our kids? Our initial thought was, well, we're teaching them how to be financially literate. I mean, you know, that's what we're teaching them. We thought there were some problems. What really was happening, this is just the facts. What really was happening is the parents didn't understand what we were teaching the kids. And they needed to understand and did not want to say, I don't know what you're teaching them Mm. because I haven't been taught that. Wow. And so that was a real eye-opener for us. They they didn't come that way and say it that way, but that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even figure it out and understand it because they had not been taught this themselves. That's good. Mm -hmm. So the second year, we put a parent component on the program and what we said to the parents was we're going to teach you what we're teaching your kids but what we really were doing was teaching the parents about what we were going to teach the kids if that makes sense that's excellent but it wasn't because they really didn't understand so much what the kids were teaching. it wasn't a problem they didn't understand it themselves and so really they were asking can you teach me what you're teaching my child Oh, my goodness. That's remarkable. That's how problematic this is. That's why it goes back so far to generations. We got to stop that. So parents didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how, and so when kids would go to their parents and ask them questions, we did this in the research. They were getting and giving wrong information mm-hmm. to their kids. And so there's a problem right there. So that's not every case, but it was a lot of the cases. So what we really found out was that not only do we have to teach the kids currently, in many cases, we have to go back and teach the parents who don't know what the kids are learning now. Wow. That's excellent. That was a a big takeaway. Believe it or not, it wasn't what we thought. Right. Well, that's that's the beauty of research, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. You did a qualitative study, and you even write about it in your book. I'll just have to say that this, you have covered so much in this book, and um, I want to give you space as we conclude, just to let our listeners know where they can pick up your book. And I'll just say I will vouch for this book. After reading this book, I called. Um, Dr. Uh, Cuz Brock and said, you know, I'm changing my behavior. I, you know, right. I mean, just because <laughs> literally I said, okay, well, let me get my little budget together. Let me make sure. Cause when you talk about, cause I've always talked about buying a two year old car, but I really didn't have all of the data that you put. Why don't you buy a new, a new car because of the, the depreciation you give so many nuggets of great information 
in this book. Um, Doc, I really want you to tell people where they can get this. And this is only the first of many conversations because we want to have you back because I think we can pull out from each different segment um, to go a little bit further. But can you tell people how they can find you and this book? Because I want them to get their hands on a copy of this wonderful book. And Dr. Slaughter, before you do that, I want people to know that this book from cover to cover is less than 120 pages yes. but it is such an easy read mm-hmm. and you know and I, and I want to dispel that myth someone once said if you want to hide something from african-american people put it in a book well i mm-hmm. want folks to get this book because i promise those of you it will change your life change dr your life. slaughter came and he taught us these principles on a sunday morning in our church and I'm telling you, it was such revolutionary information. And he, he signed the books uh, for people that wanted to get it. I'm saying this before he tells all of our listeners where to get the book. I want you to know that Dr. Sharon and I vouch for this book. Yes. It will change, your, change life your life for the better. So, Dr. Slaughter, how can we get a copy of the book? And I know as we close, let's let's ask you, how can we get a copy of your book? Or how can somebody reach you if they are interested in getting you for a speaking engagement? And lastly, can you share anything with us that we didn't ask you that you would like to leave us with? We'll give you the floor. Well, thank you. Let me just first of all, thank you both for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I love the name. What's up, cuz? That's really great. And uh, it's really an opportunity that I appreciate. I don't take it for granted. Uh, If those who are listening want to get the book, they can go to the uh, DR, Dr. DR, HBSJR at gmail.com and just say what you want and we can make that happen. We have books here, but you can also go to amazon.com and just put in Dr. Howard Slaughter, Addicted to Debt. I've got some good ratings out there on Amazon. The book's been selling well and they can get it that way. And I think at some point it's going to end up being uh, on your church website, Dr. Brock. So they'll be able to get it and you can give out that uh, but they're going to be able to get it there. So there are three ways to get it um, right now. But we're real excited about the opportunity to continue to get the book out. You know, the Lord is blessed, and I spoke at a university not long ago. They brought books for their students. Uh, it's just been great, and it's been very cathartic to write the book as well. And I was laughing myself because I went back and looked at our budget from the 90s when we had HFC and all those places that, that, that we all know were not good places. And I wanted people to know that, you know, the journey was, was just like everybody else's. I've tried to do the right thing, uh, but we made some mistakes early on. But that's the good thing. We can recover. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Well, Dr. Slaughter, you definitely can. As as God told David, you can recover all. And truly, your book lays a foundation for individuals to start. And I would just leave people with this nugget. It does not matter where you start. Just start. Just start. Just start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, get in there and start. And like you said, let, let's dispel the myth. It, it, you didn't get in debt overnight. You might, you're not going to get out of debt overnight. And most folks think their way of getting out of debt is to win the lottery. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, if you want to win the lottery, invest in this book. 
Yes. And I promise you that it will bring residual uh, benefits to your life and you will definitely be the better as a result of this book. So I want to personally thank you uh, on because it's done so many things for, for me uh, personally, but also even our church. Our church was the benefit Um the people benefit and continue to benefit from the teachings of your book. So again, thank you for being transparent. Thank you for leaning in and sharing such practical wisdom with individuals. And I hope those listening will understand how powerful it is and how serious you need to be to get out of debt. So Dr. Sharon, you got anything you want to close with? Yeah, I just want to thank Dr. Slaughter for his brilliance, his, as you said, his transparency, but more importantly, his humility. You know, Doc, I've known you for a long time, and, I, and I'll say this to you, that this remarkable read is, is the um, quintessential uh, essence of who you are as a person. So thank you so much for joining us today. We so greatly appreciate you. Thank you both. I was really happy to do it. Thank you again. And to all of you listeners, thank you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime soon, I'm sure. Definitely. Thank you, Dr. Slaughter. We appreciate you. And as we say each week, whatever you do, we want you to know that God is going to take you through whatever you're facing. So as we say here on What's Up, Cuz, keep the shiny side up and may God bless you until we meet again. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, what's up, Cuz? What's up, Cuz? (laughs) 